Someone else is supposed to come on. Oh, there he is, Pastor Jason. And here's Pastor Jason this morning. Aren't you excited to see him? <laughs> Good job, Pat. Let's give Pastor Frank a hand. That's tough doing announcements. Yes. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series on, what I say, the first service, marriage, but it's parenting. And so uh, uh, Paul Wamp is going to come and share God's word. Last week, Ken spoke on the gospel in parenting. And Paul is going to talk about uh, this, this subject of grace, grace is sufficient, about everything we do in life, that God's grace is sufficient, whether it be parenting, he'll talk about caring for the aged parents, everything we do in life is God's grace. And uh, Paul did a great job first service. There was no mic issues, so we're praying that we have no mic issues. But there's one thing we need to do, so I need everyone this morning to get your cell phone out. Get your cell phone out right now, please, everyone. Everyone get your cell phone out. Okay, make sure they are off. Because here's why. I, I, I preach regularly, so I'm used to people's phones going off, so I can, but there's like, Ken was distracted last week. He's like, what's going on? No, he didn't do that. But we want people who may be like, Paul, he's a little nervous, you know, and to get this, so let's make sure he has no distraction. And we gave him permission, if someone phones ring, we will kick you out of the service. No, we won't do that. But let's be, let's be conscious about to make sure our cell phone's off. Um, but Paul Wampler's one of our deacons. You'll see a picture here of him and his family. He has two sons. And how many grandkids? Nine grandkids. And so him and Cindy have been attending faith for many years. And, um, and so we're just so glad you're able to uh, come and share, Paul. Let's give Paul a warm welcome this morning. Well, good morning. It is truly an honor and a privilege to have this opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. You know, we sang, I don't know if you noticed, that, that first song. <clears throat> we sang uh, grace upon grace. Grace on grace. That's John 1, 16. We have grace upon grace. And aren't we grateful for that this morning? As I, as I saw the picture flash once again, this, this service, I realized the blessings of God. And grace upon grace, as I think of the family and what God has done for us. And I know that each of you could testify about the grace of God in your lives and, and how he sustains you and how he, his grace is sufficient. And we're going to look at that this morning, the sufficiency of God's grace. But it's truly, truly a blessing to be here. And I, I mentioned this morning, we, we, we talked about those blessings in the, in the nine grandkids, had a couple of them in, in early service. And... Uh, I would be glad to talk to you about that. I won't, I won't continue talking this morning right now about them, but if you want to see me after the service, I'd be glad to tell you about my grandkids. Just, well, you can take us to lunch. I feel like Pastor Frank, you can take me to lunch, and uh, we, we, can, we can talk about my grandkids. No, seriously, uh, we, are, we are truly blessed. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, as I think of uh, my life, I've been referred to and called many things, most of which I can repeat. Um, but one is, is just, it's, and you, grand, you grandparents know, it, there's hardly anything better than being called Pops, or whatever your name is, Grandpop, you know, Pop-Pop, Pops. Just that, that little child running across the yard when I pull up in the driveway, Pops! I have the opportunity, as many of you know, I, we live next door to uh, our son and his wife and five grandchildren, and then our younger son and his wife and four grandchildren live about nine houses away. So we have it pretty tough as far as, you know, getting to see them. Uh, but no, we, we are certainly blessed in that way. And, and uh, 
So we, we praise the Lord for that. And you know, we, we often, don't we often, we take stock in our lives. We evaluate our lives and, and we, we take a few minutes and outline what God has done for us. And obviously we could take days upon days to do that. But getting to that point, we have each been through trials. We have each been through struggles. We have each been through pains and difficulties and challenges and whatever other word you'd like to use to describe that. But we've, we've been through those things. And we're going to look at that this morning and knowing that we each go through those things. But also knowing that God's grace is sufficient. Some of you right this morning are going through major issues, going through major challenges and trials. And I want to tell you, if you don't know already, God's grace is sufficient for you to endure. God's grace. So as we think about this, this series on parenting, what I'd like to do this morning as we focus in on God's, the sufficiency of God's grace, I want to look at it in regards to caregiving within the family. Caregiving within the family. Caring for our children, caring for our aging parents, caring for our spouse. And when I say the family, that certainly would include us here as brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us who know the Lord, we care for one another. And we're encouraged, we're, we're more than encouraged, we're told to care for one another. And so as we look at uh, and we talk about this morning, that's what we want to do this morning and, and highlight those aspects. And certainly, if you're not aware, there's trials, there's difficulties in caring for others, isn't there? There's, there's difficulties. That's, that's not a news flash. That's not a, a Fox News special, breaking news. Everybody knows that. That's, there's there's uh, difficulty in caring. Think of raising children, maintaining that consistency, maintaining that consistency, keeping them from evil influences. Uh, there's, there's, there's challenges along the way. There's concerns that we have for our kids. Uh, some are going through, uh, Pastor Jason with, with Mitchell, Pastor Jason and Judy, with Mitchell, health conditions that, again, I, I, I mentioned in the first service, I know that he would, and any of us would, would change positions with our child so that they didn't have to go through trials. But there's trials that we all go through, and there's difficulties. In caring for our aging parents, there's, there's tough times, aren't there? Sometimes there's a question, a questioning by others of our motives or methods. Sometimes it's a matter of just the physical care that we have to exercise for them. And sometimes, and you may have experienced this, there's a difficulty in getting over that hurdle of role reversal. You know what I mean? The, the role reversal where you're, where you're caring for your, your parent like they used to care for you. So there's challenges along the way. Caring for a sick, sick spouse, there's, there's challenges. And then caring for one another. Certainly there's, sometimes there's misunderstandings or words that hurt us. But there's difficulties and challenges in, in all of this. But so as we look at this this morning, I want to I do so and look at uh, this matter of, of caregiving using a, an acrostic, the acrostic being amped, A-M-P-E-D, amped. That word amped, if I'm amped about something, I'm excited, right? I'm amped, I'm empowered, I'm energized. So that's what I want us to be about care, caregiving today, is amped. And amped would be our attitude for caring, our method of caring, and our perseverance in caring. Our attitude about caring, our method of caring and our perseverance in caring. So turn with me, if you would, to the third chapter of Colossians. 
Colossians chapter 3. We're talking about our attitude of caring or about caring. We might say this is the motive for caring, but if you think of it, motive doesn't fit in my acrostic, so I used attitude. So the motive or, or attitude about caring. And, and as, as many of Paul's writings do, in the first couple of chapters, Paul outlines for some doctrinal instruction. And as you're well aware, or probably well aware, in, in Colossians, we, he's talking about the preeminence of Christ, the preeminence of Christ in, in many different areas. Uh, but in, in verse 18 of that chapter, in chapter 1, at the end of that, he says that in everything, Christ might be preeminent. Christ is preeminent in everything. So we, we find that, and we move through to chapter 3. Chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, begins the practical application of, of what Paul has outlined for us in the early parts. And so that practical application, so what then do we do with, with that knowledge that he has given to us? What then do we do? And it comes to that, if then, and that word if is, is of course since, since then you have been raised as believers in Jesus Christ, since you have been raised, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So if we think, if we, we summarize that, so what are, we, what are we to do? What is expected in the life of a, of a believer? First is to seek. Seek, and that, that almost, in my, my thinking, almost implies a, a, a physical intention, seeking something out. Seek those things that are above. And then as we find there, the second verse, set your mind. So that's the mental aspect, right? So physical and mental, set your mind on things that are above. So as believers in Christ, what is expected of us is we are to seek and set. Seek and set. Seek those things that are above, set our minds on things that are above. And when you think about that setting of our mind, it comes to, I think of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And that's where it says that we are to take all thoughts that exalt themselves against Christ and take them captive. We're to take captive all thoughts that exalt themselves against Christ. So when we think of that, what are we required to do as believers? Seek and set. And then as we find, as we move through that chapter, beginning in verse 5, we find the steps in order to meet those, uh, those expectations. What is expected to us? What's, what, expect, what is expected of us? In verses 5 through 11, what are we to do in our personal lives? And that starts out, put to death those evil things, those things that were before we became a believer in Jesus Christ. Verses 12 to 17 deals with our church life. And verses 18 to 21, our home life. Verses 22 to 41 is our business life or our uh, employment life. And then we find in chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, what are we to do to meet what is expected is we are to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, and so forth, and to walk in wisdom, as it says there in those verses, verses 2 and 5. So what is expected of us? We're to seek and to set. Seek those things that are above, set our minds on things that are above. And then how do we do that? And that's what's outlined in these chapters, or these verses following, beginning in 5 down to 4, verse 6. So I'd like to take a moment and read uh, chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. Let's look at uh, Colossians 3, 12 to 21. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I mentioned in the first service, and it just... You know, when you, when you look at that, we could, we could just camp out there, couldn't we? 
God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As chosen ones, chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4 tells us, holy and beloved. Holy, in, in uh, Colossians 1, 21 to 22, a page back, it says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but Christ in his body has reconciled us by his, by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. What a position. What a position. Holy and blameless and above reproach. So we're chosen. We're holy because of what Christ has done on the cross. And we're beloved. And my mind goes to 1 John 4.10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself, gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice, gave his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So we are holy, beloved, and, and, uh, and chosen by God. But as we, let's, read, let's go on. Uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has given, uh, forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And it goes on, then it talks about bond servants and slaves, and that, of course, we make application to employers and employees today. But as we look at this, we're talking about the attitude about caring, the attitude about caring. And we find that in verse 17. Look back with se at 17, if you would. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What does everything mean? Everything, right? Don't you, don't you love that? I said, I said earlier, don't you love that word? You know, you're not supposed to define a word with the word or any part thereof, right? Everything means everything. All. Do everything to the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. So do everything. So when we come to our attitude or the motive for caring or about caring, it's we're doing everything to the name of the Lord. You know, there's certain, there's, there's various motives, various thoughts about why or how, what's our motive or our, our thinking behind caring for others. We do so most of the time out of love, don't we? We love and we care for that person, so we want to give that love. It's caregiving. We want to we love that person. Sometimes we do it out of responsibility, and, and rightly so, because the Word of God instructs us to do so. In 1 Timothy 4, it talks about honoring the older men and honoring the widows and caring for the widows. And let me say, the family is supposed to step up and care for the widows. If there's no family, then, of course, the body of believers. And, and you can read that in 1 Timothy 5. But again, as we think about that, 
this caring for one another. The purpose of it, though, as we think about the reasons, so we've got love, we've got responsibility. Sometimes it's obligation, isn't it? Sometimes it falls to, I, I don't really want to, but I know I should, so I have to. And then the ugliest form of it is, is for selfishness. What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? And unfortunately, we've probably seen that in some situations. But we think about those two, the love and the responsibility to care for one another. And that's, that's what we focus in on. But I want us to focus in a little further than that, much further than that. What is the responsibility? What is, what is our, our attitude about caring? What's our motive for caring? And that's what we find there in, in verse 17. It's to do everything in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's to serve the Lord. It's to serve the Lord. Our, caring, our caregiving serves the Lord. We find in, uh, many of you probably thought of 1 Corinthians 10.31 already. Remember when Paul is speaking there of, of, to the uh, church at Corinth, and he is saying that uh, about the, the meat that was offered to idols, and he comes down to verse 31, and he says that whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? Do all to the glory of God. Second Peter, uh, excuse me, First Peter, in verse four, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter four, verse two, it says, "No longer live for human passions, but for the will of God." So, as believers in Jesus Christ, no longer do we live for human passions, and and some of those those passions can be good good intentions, but we're to live for the will of God. The, the will of God. 4.11 uh, says that we ought to use our gifts, those spiritual gifts that what God has given us, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion. So when we come back to this motive or this attitude about caring, it's to serve the Lord. It's to serve the Lord. And so we, we find, and I think in, as I was preparing, the question came to mind, why why does my attitude have to be that of serving the Lord? Why can't it be just, I love this person, and I want to, I want to do that? And, and, and I think sometimes uh, it, it can happen. I mean, we are all humans, right? We all have our own thoughts and our own desires. Sometimes if we don't get the response from the recipient of that care, that can impact what we think of that person. That can impact how we may care for that person. Now, obviously it shouldn't, but it can. But if we're caring and we are serving as unto the Lord, then it doesn't matter. See, you see that the response, our service is not based on the recipient's response. It is unto the Lord for His glory. It's, it's very similar to the, the impact or the, the results in our service isn't based on, or our service isn't based on results. Our faithfulness isn't based on results. It's based on, are we faithful? And here, just, just as, uh, as that, would, that would be, our service is based on uh, our, our for doing it for the Lord, not on the recipient's response. So as we think of this, this uh, uh, attitude towards caring, it is one unto the Lord. And I found it interesting, verse 24 of, that, of Colossians 3. Look at the end of that verse. Now, I know this is speaking specifically to the employer-employee section here in this passage, but look at the end of the verse. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. And that's just right there, isn't it? You're serving God. Taking care of people, and we're going to look at it back in Romans in just a minute. Taking care of people is service unto the Lord. So we have that attitude of caring. The method of caring is next. The method of caring, and looking back to our passage there in, in Colossians, and looking back up to uh, verse 12, I want to look at this in, in regards to four separate areas. What is our method of caring? What is our method of caring for one another as a body, a body of Christ, serving our brothers and sisters? What's the method of caring for our spouses and for our parents and for our children? How do we care for them? So look, at, uh, look if you would, at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy beloved. So it talks about compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. We read through those things, meekness. But note verse 14. Verse 14 says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in the perfect harmony. That word love, that's, that's the method. That's, that's what ought to take place in our caring. That's how we care. We care in love. And then secondly, I think we care in honor. We honor the, the, the uh, recipient of the care, the one needing care. Look down to uh, verse 18. And I think there's, here's where we see the, the spousal relationship. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, note here in, from verse 17, this is a continuation of thought. It's not, I, I, I have in my Bible a, a section title that separates 17 and 18. Maybe you do as well. But understand that, that this is a continuation of thought. So if we find whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And here's some ways to do that. Wives, submit yourselves to the husband as is fitting to the Lord, unto the Lord. Husbands, don't be harsh. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. So when we look at that, that relationship with the husband and wife, there's love and respect. First Peter 3 talks about that. There's the, the wife is to love and respect her husband and serve and, 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 uh, and act out of pure conduct. The husband is to love and honor and respect the wife. In 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, it mentions those. So as we look at this, this matter of, of the method of caring, it's out of love and honor. Similarly, let's, let's turn back to Romans 12 for a moment. Romans chapter 12. And look at this passage. And I, I like this passage because it's very succinct. Very simple. And for my simple mind, it, it works pretty well. You just you, you pick it up in verse 9. And it said this, now my, again, the, the uh, heading on, under this section is marks of the true Christian or what's expected of the true Christian. Let love be genuine. That's pretty right there in there. Just don't be hypocritical. Let love be genuine. So in our service, we're serving out of love. Let that be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Hold fast. Grasp hold of what is good and hold on to it. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then look at the end of that verse, verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? Outdo one another in showing honor. What does it mean to honor? It means to lift somebody up. It means to put them on a, like on a pedestal, doesn't it? And we're to outdo, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to outdo in showing honor. And that's, that's more than just holding the door for somebody, isn't it? 
outdo one another in showing honor. And then look at verse 11 as it continues. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy in being zealous. Be fervent in spirit. That's, that's intentional, isn't it? Don't be, don't be lazy in being zealous. And then look how it concludes that verse. Serve the Lord. So in doing this, we are serving the Lord. It goes back to our, our attitude towards care. And then we have the motive of, of showing honor and showing love. And then let's look at that uh, familiar passage in Ephesians 5 as we relate it to the husband and wife and also children. Ephesians 5. And we know this is the section that speaks of the relationship between the husband and wife and as it shows uh, to be an illustration of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So we, we find that here in, in uh, it starts, look at verse 21, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, we think about this, this walk that we are to have in, in love and honor and serving one another. We're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a yielding to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the purpose. That's why we do it, out of reverence for Christ, for his glory, for his glory. So uh, and let, me, let me just say this uh, about verse 21. Submit to one another, yield to one another. That does not supersede verse 22. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, I say that because in my preparation and listening to a, a couple different speakers, they would have you to say, you know, th th this issue of, of the wives submitting to the husband, it's, it's taken out of the way because of verse 21. No, that's not correct. We're to submit to one another and serving one another. God still has the hierarchy of the family and the authority within the family in place. And that is wives submitting to the husband. Doesn't mean that the wife is any less, as you well know. It, it means that the, from an authority standpoint, the hierarchy is that wives submit to the husband. Now, the husband is the head. Wives are to love. Now look down to verse 32. And, and we know within those, those uh, verses, within the, that section, that the husband is to love the wife as, the church, as Christ loved the church. And how is that? Sacrificially, isn't it? So, wives aren't, I mean, the husbands aren't off the hook, uh, certainly, by any means. Look at verse 33. Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So again, we, we see love, respect, and honor. When we're, when we're talking about uh, the marriage relationship, we're, we're using, we use words like love, respect, and honor, and pure conduct. So as we think about this serving our spouse, it's in that, in that vein that we do so. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1 where it deals with children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. So when we think about that parent-child relationship, there's a level of authority. When we talk about obedience, there's a level of authority, isn't it? Had the blessing of having our, our two sons in the earlier service. And if I think of them when, when growing up, and I tell them, okay, boys, we're going to rake the yard on Saturday. Well, that's, the, that's what's happening. We're going to rake the yard on Saturday. That's the level of authority. I have authority over them as they're in the home, and we're going to rake the yard. Now, if I were to say that to them now, they have their own houses, and I tell them, okay, guys, we're going to rake my yard on Saturday. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, some of you may be laughing because you know this already, 
that illustration falls flat on its face because Cindy loves doing yard work and enjoys that. So it's not going to happen in our yard. But certainly I don't have the authority to tell them to come over and rake my yard. However, if we carry this out, and walk with me here, uh, if we carry this example out, if they come over and rake my yard, they're doing it because they honor their dad and mom. Right? So, so we find here the authority is seasonal. As a child moves out and develops their own household, it's seasonal. We, we, we no longer, parents no longer have that authority. However, the authority, uh, the, excuse me, the honor, the honor is perpetual. Authority is seasonal, honor is perpetual. It's ongoing. And you'll you recall, as it, as it says there, um, this is the first commandment with promise. What does that mean? Well, that means back in Exodus, the 20th chapter, and we go through the list of the Ten Commandments, we come down to the Fifth Commandment, and it's honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you when you come into the land that God is giving you. So it's, it's, we find the honor is ongoing. It's ongoing. So when we think of caregiving for aging parents, it ought to be with honor. We esteem them. We hold them up. You know what that means? That means listening to the same stories repeatedly. I know I, I've started doing that sometimes. Uh, that means yielding to them. That means letting them say what they want to in, in public sometimes sometimes. But you get the idea. I mean, think about it. When you were growing up, how long did it take you to tell a story? How long, how many times did you tell a story? Oh, you're just this kind of, you know, role reversal? Yeah, it's role reversal. Honor our parents. Honor our parents. Um, and then uh, when we think of, of that verse 4 there, fathers do not provoke, or as we found there in Colossians 3, 21, says don't exasperate your children. Be consistent. Children need boundaries. They need boundaries. And I, I'm, uh, I don't want to step on Pastor Jason's message in a couple weeks, but they need boundaries. But set those boundaries and don't just arbitrarily move them. If you, if you need to move the boundaries, have a sit down with them. Don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't be inconsistent. So as we, as we think about it, so that, that involves a bit of honor, doesn't it? As we think of our children. So we, we honor our children. So what is our method of caring? It's, it's love and honor. Now, that is not in there when we think of that honor. It's not strictly just to honor the recipient. What happens when we do what God commands us to? He's glorified. He's honored, and that's what we, that's what we want. That's what it should. That's the way it should be. That we are honoring God, and I know when I hear that word honor, I've heard it for decades now. Uh, heard it many times when Dad was preaching. My dad was a pastor, preaching from the pulpit, and he would use the verse in First Samuel, the second chapter, in verse thirty. Ken referred to it last week. This this section referred to Eli, the priest, the Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And it says in chapter 2, the early part of chapter 2, that Hophni and Phinehas were worthless men. 
That's quite a, uh, quite a testimony, an eternal testimony, right? Worthless men. Why? Because they were stealing part of what was being offered to God. And they were committing evil acts at the door of the temple. And what did Eli do? Nothing. He went to him and said, guys, you shouldn't do that. That was it. Scripture doesn't record anything other than saying, this isn't right. He says, this isn't right, what you're doing. Well, the law would demand, of course, that they'd be taken out, right? The, the law as we would find. But it comes down there, and at the end of that chapter, and God comes to Eli through messenger and says, because you have not taken care of your sons like you should have, then I will remove the priestly line from your family. Unto them that honor me, I will honor, says the Lord. And those that despise me will be lightly esteemed. First, first Samuel 2.30, if we don't get anything else today, get that phrase, that part of First Samuel, it's, it's just a portion of that verse. Unto them that honor me, I will honor, says the Lord. And so when you think of, of caregiving, and we think of our family and caring for one another, it's out of honor to God, and he should be the one receiving the glory. So we think of our attitude, it's service to God. We are serving the Lord Christ. Whether we're caregiving for, caring for elderly parents, we're caring for children that have been placed in our home, whether we're caring for uh, one another as, as husband and wife, whether we're caring for one another in the body of Christ, we are serving the Lord Christ. So we come now to the third uh, point is perseverance in caring. Perseverance in caring. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? We do, don't we? We believe in sovereignty. God is in control. God is in control. From the holding of the earth and the universe in place by the word of his mouth, word of his power in, in Hebrews 1, 3, to the lot that is cast into the lap, and every decision is from the Lord. What's that mean? Every toss of the dice, the result is under God's control. We don't think of it that way, do we, too often? But that's what it, that's what it Proverbs 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Matthew 10, 29 says, a sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from our Heavenly Father. From the deliverance of his son to be crucified according to his definite plan and foreknowledge, Acts 2.23, to the fulfillment of that plan that we find throughout Scripture and uh, all throughout the Gospels, we see God's sovereignty. God is in control. In Isaiah 46.10 it says, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. I will accomplish my purpose. If we believe that, and, and I think we do, if we believe that, then the raising of children and the placement of those children in our homes, the caring of a spouse with an extended illness, the care for aging parents, the serving the need of the body of Christ did not just happen naturally through the aging process or through a decision that was made to join a church. This is God-ordained. They are God-ordained that you should walk through these events and the related struggles, trials, and, and, and uh, difficulties. God has ordained that the recipient of your care should also endure that trial that they are encountering. encountering. You know, when you think about God's sovereignty, it provides a great comfort as believers. 
if you believe in the sovereignty of God. Nothing happens to us by chance. God is in control. Go back and read Job. You, you know the story of Job. Read through that again. God is in control. God is in control. In fact, listen to, listen to Philippians 1.29. When we think about these things that, that God, has, God ordains, Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his name's sake. Not only believe in him, but suffer for his name's sake. It has been granted to you. What's that word granted mean? To be given, right? If I grant something to you, I'm, I'm giving something to you. So it has been granted. God ordains those things. Remember in uh, Acts 9 and Acts 20, speaking about the Apostle Paul, Acts 9, he's, he's just had a conversion on the road to Damascus. He arrives into Damascus, and God comes to Ananias, and he tells Ananias, go tell Paul what he is going to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I, I, I know some of us remember when the, the exact day that we're saved. Some of us uh, remember around the time. But can you imagine whenever God called you and you became his child, can you imagine somebody coming to you and within a short period of time saying, oh, by the way, let me enumerate the things that you're going to go through. Well, that would, that would be tough, wouldn't it? In Ephesians 20, we find this, uh, excuse me, in Acts 20. Ephesians doesn't have 20 chapters. Uh, Acts 20, we find a, a similar thing where, where Paul is going, he's leaving Ephesus, and he calls the elders and tells the elders of Ephesus, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me there, but what I do know is the Holy Spirit testifies that the imprisonments and afflictions await him in every city. So God is, grant, God is granting those sufferings. God is is ordaining those sufferings in Paul's life, and he does so in our lives. This is not only a New Testament principle. We find it in, in the Old Testament as well, and we think about the purposes of our suffering. For Paul, we find, and in, in our small group can attest to this. We talked about this the last time we were together in, in Colossians 1, 24. For Paul, those sufferings were joy, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but they were for the furtherance of the gospel. They were filling up what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, which is a unique phrase. I won't get into it now, but, but it's for the furtherance of the gospel, the sufferings were. For others, for other, other purposes, might be for our, our own benefit to, to bring us closer to Christ. And, and that's the time when we get closer to Christ, isn't it? That's the time when our, our faith is strengthened, strengthened is often when we're going through those, those times of trial and suffering. For the children of Israel in Isaiah 48, it was chastisement. Remember, the children of Israel did not obey. They, they kept disobeying the Lord. In Isaiah 48, 10 and 11, it says, The Lord says to them, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. That word tried in that I have tried you in the furnace of affliction I think in the King James, it has the word chosen. And it's an intentional selection. So God intentionally selected Israel to be tried in the furnace of affliction. Their furnace of affliction was going to be the Babylonian captivity. But God intentionally tried them in the furnace of affliction. So in his sovereignty, and in this case, his discipline, for the purpose of his name, for the glory of his name, we know, brothers and sisters, that we're going to go through sufferings and, and difficulties and trials. And if you're not going through one right now, 
Just hold on. You will soon. But we know that we're going to go through those things. And let me also say that if you're here this morning and you have not yielded to Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, first of all, let me encourage you to to make today the day of your salvation. Hear God calling you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6 talks about today being the day of salvation. Hear God calling you. I would love to speak with you after service about that. Uh, if, if you're here this morning and, and don't know Christ. But also let me say this, that when you make that decision, when you come to Christ, do not expect a bed of roses. Any believer in here can testify that there's trials, there's difficulties. But the difference is we have a Savior that brings us through that. We have a Savior whose grace is sufficient to bring us through that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a familiar passage, and we're winding up here in just a few moments. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, look at this passage in regards to uh, the Apostle Paul. You remember this section, this is, uh, 2 Corinthians 12 is is where uh, Paul is just, he's, he's defending his ministry through these chapters, and then it comes into chapter 12, he talks about receiving great revelation from God. Paul received great revelation from God. And so in verse 7 it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me. A thorn by God was given to him. A messenger of Satan. If it were Satan giving that thorn, he, he wouldn't have given a thorn. He would allow Paul to be conceited and prideful, would he not? But a thorn was given to him in the flesh, by the Lord, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why was Paul content? How was Paul content in this? Knowing that his service and the trials through which he was going was for the honor and glory of Christ. It was to show Christ's strength. So therefore, he was content in being weak. He was content in his weaknesses being on display. Let me ask you, are you content with your weaknesses being on display, now we, I wouldn't be, right? We don't, like to, we don't like to display our weaknesses. But for the cause of Christ, as we go through trials and sufferings, our weaknesses can be on display. Now, we think back about that, that section now. Many, much has been written, much has been commented on about what this thorn in the flesh was and what this uh, messenger of Satan. Uh, some would say that it was false teachers there in Corinth and they were just needling, sticking Paul as messengers of Satan. Others would say it's a physical um, issue. And that was causing, and that can happen to us, can it? If we're in the middle of a trial, and we're not focused on the attitude of what we're going through, whether it's caring for others, or it can be broadened out to anything through which we're, that we're enduring at that time, it can become a messenger of Satan, can it? It can discourage us. It can provide discouragement. It can make us bitter. 
But as we think about Paul and his testimony, his, it says that God's grace is sufficient and his power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. So in Paul's weakness, God was put on display. God was put on display there. So when we think of, of Paul and, and how he endured through this, we also think of the, uh, the ninth chapter of, of, first, of Second Corinthians. Just turn back a page or two there and look at chapter 9. the ninth chapter of, of 1 Corinthians. And we find there in verse 8, and we said, God is, and it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. John MacArthur writes about that, or, or notes about that. Look at the superlatives. They're staggering that are used in that verse. Let's read it again. And let me emphasize and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, this grace, this matter of grace, we would, we would define it as undeserving favor, unmerited favor, would we not? But it's so much more than that when we think about that. This, this is power from God that acts to obey, that acts in us to obey his instructions. Power from God. This grace is unmerited favor. We, we often think of it in terms of atoning grace. When I mention the word grace, I would imagine that a lot of you are thinking of the verse in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 8. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And that's certainly right. That, that grace that faith that's giving is a gift of God. It's the faith in God's grace to atone us. So we have faith that God has saved us. But in Colossians, the second chapter in verse 6, that reads that as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how is that? By grace through faith. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So can continue your Christian life, your Christian walk, your daily activities. So continue your walk with Him. So as believers, our walk is by grace through faith. We have faith in a loving and an all-sufficient God that His grace will carry us through those trials, those difficulties that we are enduring. And so when we think about God's sufficiency, we think about His grace, it is sufficient. As we read there in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 9 and verse 8, it's sufficient all grace to abound to all things in all sufficiency. In everything that we do, His grace is sufficient. As we consider this issue of caring, whether it be in the body of Christ, whether it be for aging parents or for our children or our spouses, we are serving the Lord Christ. We are serving the Lord Christ. We're to serve with love, honoring the ones for whom we're caring, but the ultimate purpose is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, honor the Lord. We're to complete the service in persevering by and through the grace of our matchless Savior. Paul writes in, in Ephesians 15 that he works, but it's only the grace of God that is working in him. He works harder, he says, he works harder than the others. 
but it's not him that's working. It's actually God's grace in him that does so. So we, we get through these tasks, we, or these, these trials, because of the, the grace of God. There certainly are difficulties and trials we face that we're going to face. And I know many of you, even today, are, are facing things or going through things, the, the pain and consequences of which I can't, just, I can't imagine the impact of. And some of us have gone through trials and sufferings, the pain of which won't leave us here in this earthly life. But God is able. You know, Paul writes in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, in verse 10, that's uh, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. He also writes in, in uh, Colossians 1.24, the suffering, yet joyful. Uh, joyful in his suffering. And that comes as, a, as a, a means by which that God is faithful. And we look to him for our, our sufficiency. God is faithful. God is sovereign, and again, a comfort to us all as believers. God's grace is abundant. It's overflowing. And I love the, I love the picture that, that, that uh, in my mind, overflowing, you've got a, a, a cup or a glass, and you're pouring a pitcher of water, and you just continue to pouring, and it just gushes. God's grace is abundant. It's overflowing. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. We got up this morning, we have mercies to take us through today. We get up tomorrow morning, God's going to give us mercies to take us through tomorrow. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Your Word. Thank You, Father, for Your love for us. Thank You, Father, for this powerful grace, Lord, that You have bestowed upon us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for uh, your mercy in our lives. Father, may we take these words and, and apply them to our lives. Father, may you use them. Father, uh, search each of our hearts. And Father, those areas of, of weakness, Lord God, would you strengthen us through your grace and through your mercy. Father, bless now as we go our separate ways. Father, we pray that we would do those things, Lord, that bring you honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's show Paul our appreciation for Father Paul. As we close, just kind of connecting this series together last week, Ken talked about the gospel, the importance of us teaching our kids. This, this morning I took a bunch of notes in my Bible, Paul. You know, amped, you know, our attitude, our method, our perseverance, particularly in, in, in talking about parenting. That God is like, there's, there's no mistake the, the kids that we have in our family, is there? It's ordained and sovereignly by God, okay? And so I love the fact, Paul, too, parenting, we're serving the Lord while we're parenting. We're serving the Lord because this is what our task before us. And so I'm excited to hear what Max has to say next week, and I close up with discipline. Um, but no, it's all a part of equipping us as parents to think about some of these things as we parent. And as Pastor Frank shared, the three classes that are to sign up for, I really encourage us to do this. As a church, Ephesians 4 tells us we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we want to give you opportunity for education on Wednesday night parents and, and any other folks um, to come and take some classes with us. Um, if you're a parent, I really encourage you to sign up for Mark Yonke's class in the area of culture. 
Um, things that are happening in our world is crazy. He really nails it down from a scripture perspective of what we, how we need to think. So parents, I really want you to look at that class. You have Pastor Mike is teaching on the church. Lord, uh, it, it'd be something for us to understand as, as members of the church how we can function today in the church. So sign up for Pastor Mike's class. Understand more of our role in the church today. And of course, men, if you are interested in a small group setting with Pastor Frank, some accountability, that's exciting stuff. And we want you to get excited about those things for our Wednesday night a time together, living or the truth for living. And so we hope you can join us for those, for those days. Why don't we stand together and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Brother Paul and sharing. Lord, give us a, a great time this week, Father, just living for you. As Paul said, serving you in, in, in parenting and in, in taking care of individuals in our jobs. Lord, may we serve you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love you. Thank you so much for this day we have to come together. And we ask this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Have a great week.